welcome to Run the Table. I'm your host, Bryce Tinson, over at... How are you doing today, huh? I'm doing good. Just uh, good? Not great? No. A lot of my teams didn't do as well as I needed them to. That's true. Um, so, you know. That was a rough weekend. It, it was indeed a rough weekend. Okay. So we're going to get into it. We got our takeaways. Um, hey, Michigan won, right? Purdue yep, won. Good. College football yep. was pretty good for you. It was okay. Yeah. Uh, USC won? Yep. Should we get into it? Let's just get into it, right? I'm what? out on Sark. Um, oh, no. So, I I just don't think he's a very good head coach. And, you know, I don't want to be reactionary because a lot of these time, a lot of the times, I guess, um, these coaches have great track records, but because of a couple of bad years, you know, we cast them aside um, because it's not working out. But, frankly, I don't know if that's the case with Steve, Sarka- Steve Sarkeesian. Folks, I look back at what he's done where he's been. And for those that don't know, he probably, him and Lane Kiffin were two of the driving forces behind not one but two separate uh, offensive dynasties within college football. The middle 2000 USC offensive dynasties with Reggie Bush, Matt Leinert, um, and company uh, that won a couple of national championships were led by uh, OC Lane Kiffin and quarterbacks coach Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, And then... Sark eventually took the OC job before going to Washington to be the head coach where he was five and seven, seven and six, I think, uh, three straight years actually, and um, then finished eight and four. And I think to myself, okay, that's not a terrible record, all things considered. Um, you know, I've seen I've seen worse, but folks, this is Washington. We've seen people at Washington have a lot of success, whether it be Chris Peterson or the coach currently there. What's his name? DeBoer or something like that. Um, so, I mean... Uh, Kalen DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer. There we go. Um, so, it's not all that impressive going 7-5, and five, four straight years there. That's kind of what Washington is, if not a little worse, in my opinion. I think Washington's one of the bigger brands within the Pac-12. 7-5 and five doesn't really impress me. 7-6, and six, it was three straight years and then a 8-4 and yeah, four That's season a bowl game, man. Come on. Before going to USC, where he was eventually fired for personal matters that I don't hold against him. He's learned from it. He's gotten better. Uh, he had a drinking problem back in the day, uh, so much so that he was fired um, from USC in 2015 and speaking of USC he was kind of just okay at USC yep. uh with Lane Kiffin's guys he went eh, about nine and four and then three and two before ultimately getting fired that is his history as a head coach to me doesn't sound like a whole lot his only big thing was then being the OC after you know his his tenure at uh at um USC uh, it was being the OC at Alabama and with uh, Lane Kiffin, where, like I said, they were the leaders of another offensive dynasty. Very impressive. Extremely great recruiters. And that's being carried over to Texas. But as a head coach, he's proven a grand total yeah. of nothing for me. So when I see him not working out on Texas, it may seem like an overreaction that I'm saying, oh, I'm out on Sark. Folks, I just think he's not a great head coach. I think he's a... Uh, Fantastic offensive mind. I don't think that can be debated, especially with his track record, although you can make the argument that Lane Kiffin was probably, you know, the driving force there. But 
I won't. I, I still think, you know, his offensive mind is, you know, kind of undoubtable. Um, I think he's a great recruiter. I think all of that is true. But as a head coach, his teams look a little dejected at times. They don't look <laughs> uh, like they're playing for a purpose. It doesn't look like they're fully buying in. It doesn't like look like they're playing for one. Um, and they're playing for the names on the back. Playing for the names on the back. Exactly. And, you know, I've made this case a billion times in the past. Well, at these places that keep firing and firing and firing head coaches, maybe it's just tough to win there. True. But what did Tom Herman do? He went 9-3 and three his second yep. year, made it to the Big 12 championship game, lost a very close game, and then won the Sugar Bowl against Georgia, one of Georgia's only losses in the last four or five seasons. I mean, I get it, right? Like, it's not, it isn't easy to win at Texas. But Herman was doing better than this. He really was. His first year, he didn't go 5-7. and seven, He went 7-6. and six. His third year... Made it to the Alamo Bowl, won the Alamo Bowl. Same thing as uh, fourth year before ultimately getting fired. Right now, I think that would be uh, a blessing for Texas if they could make the Alamo Bowl. Well, they Quite might, frankly, they might still make the Alamo six Bowl. Six and four, I, we'll see. But they could I, still feasibly uh, play for the Big Twelve Championship. No, um, they would need a lot of help. And at I that point, what's, I don't know how much the help point? they need. Need to win twice and probably need losses. From they just Kansas need Kansas State. State to lose. Was it one more game? I think maybe even two. I don't know. No, they it's need two because Kansas State has yeah. two. Oh, no, but they both have two conference losses. They're tied with somebody else that they, I don't they know. They beat Baylor. They beat Iowa State. They didn't They're, beat Baylor. They haven't played Baylor yet. They, they played this Baylor, week. I guess. And then there's one more, Oklahoma State. They beat Oklahoma No, they lost to Oklahoma State. Okay, they'll need Kansas State to lose. Yeah, and they're tied with Oklahoma State. Yeah, but Oklahoma State. Haven't all their losses come in conference? What? No, they're tied with Oklahoma State. They need Oklahoma State to lose, Kansas State to lose. Number seven and three. And um, three yeah, but oh, because Texas, Texas has, has three. three yeah. So, so Kansas State. I mean, needs to lose listen, two more folks. Games, yeah. At both, at best, we're going eight and four. And at that point, who cares if you're playing for a Big Twelve? I. Well, what if you win it? They're not going. And your Big Twelve champs. I. I mean, this is just ridiculous at this point. And he hasn't proven it anywhere else as a head coach. I'm sorry. I just I think to myself. I just don't know. Tom Herman did better than this. He did. Yep. Um, and I don't think the expectation that him to go nine and three and start to turn around his second year is too much to ask, especially when you're playing with a top five, top ten most talented team in the country year in and year out. I so what would I do? Because that's really the only thing that matters. I do not want another just complete rebuild and complete start over for Texas, considering how big of a price that would be to pay. I think you even give him next year to prove himself, even though I think probably won't. I bet my gut tells me he's just not a good head coach, and that is what it is. But I would ultimately give him another year just to see if I'm wrong, because that's the only thing you can do at this point. Otherwise you're starting over again and you have to wait at least two years for the guy to, you know, actually get his guys in there and have a chance to win. So it's so difficult. Um, but I'll give him until next year a full offseason with Quinn Ewers, and if that doesn't work out, no more excuses. Obviously the recruiting class they're bringing in next year is going to be incredible, but, I have no reason to believe that they're going to use that talent to make this into a 10-11 win team. I mean, yeah. next year, you look at a lot of their guys defensively, Anthony Cook, uh, Overshone even is a senior. Like They're losing probably most of their best starters. I don't know what they do going forward. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think this was their little one-year blip where they could be a competitive team in the Big 12 and even a competitive team nationally. But they didn't do it. So next year, my expectation would be ten and two, eleven and one, win the Big Twelve. Otherwise, that was my expectation this year. 
Yeah, and, and they failed, but I mean, you can't just fire guys after one failed expectation. Yeah, that's fair. It's just too much of a rebuild, and, and I'm tired of it. You're tired of the two-year rebuild at Texas every single cycle. You got Eventually, you're going to hit. Eventually, it's going to hit, right? You hope so, but I mean, you don't want to start that process over again. I would give Sark one more season just to figure it out, full offseason with Ewers, because obviously he transferred in from Ohio State. I don't know. His footwork looks terrible, by the way, folks. I don't know if he'll be any good. And I think if he doesn't, you go to Arch Manning. But he throws a cool ball. He throws a great ball, but he can't has no touch on his deep passes. Oh, I makes know somebody terrible else who decisions. doesn't have touch on his deep passes too. Makes terrible decisions deep down the field. I mean, it. it I just don't. I, I don't see it. I don't see it. There's no signs of it turning around from where he started the season. That's tough. Um. Okay. I. I want to talk about Oregon real quick because, yes, it's year one of Dan Lanning, and they've actually exceeded my expectations, especially with Bo Nix at quarterback. But what I saw on Saturday is a team that is not ready to take that next step and become one of those upper upper echelon teams. That is a game at home against a Washington team. If I'm being quite honest, I... I don't know how good of a team they actually are. Yes, they're 8-2. and two. Yes, they were ranked. But we're talking about their best win being uh, a fraudulent win against Oregon State that Oregon State probably should have won in Michigan State. And we know how good Michigan State was playing at that time. Probably some of the worst football we've seen from a team that is now, uh, or after this week, going to be above 500. Um, you can't lose that game at home. You absolutely can't. It's not even like they got outplayed. Uh, Weird. That was weird. That was dropping. okay. Um, it's not even like they played poorly either. They lost the game by three, but you would rel- you relied on a guy who in Bo Nix who has shown the capability to lead a game winning drive and be that clutch guy. He did it against Oregon at, when he was at Auburn. But other than that, I mean, other than that one drive, Bo Nix really hasn't shown that he can be the guy in the clutch. And so that's where we kind of get into into the, the the weeds here is that you need a guy in order to we we saw it with Alabama last year and Bryce Young he was the guy for them leading them down the field against Auburn like that is yeah I think it was a ninety set was it ninety seven was that ninety seven yard touchdown drive to tie that game yeah I think so um, yeah obviously there's some stuff that went into that from Auburn we probably still should have won that game but they got a chance and they capitalized because of Bryce Young. It's not Dan Lanning's guy, Bo Nix isn't. He came into the transfer portal. I can acknowledge that. But at the same time, you have to find a way to win this game because you outgained them. You had the same number of turnovers. I think you outpossessed them by a good bit amount. Yes, the two different play styles will play a factor into that. But like, there was no reason when you look at the stats. Uh, I don't know what yards per play were. Um, all I know is that you had 6.1 yards per carry and lost the game. It, like that is not you. You you can't lose a game like this. And, and basically, all it told me, I, not to mention that you had a legitimate shot at the college football playoff if you won out. Um, all this told me is that Oregon isn't ready yet. They're a great program. They're not an elite program yet. And and I feel like since Chip Kelly, they've been trying to find that guy that's going to take them back there. And I I don't know. I don't know if Dan, I I really do like Dan Lanning as a coach. I don't know if he's there yet. 
but I think he can get there. But if you're Oregon, you got to feel like this was the year. The Pac-12 was kind of in limbo. Uh, you had, in my opinion, you have one of the more talented teams, and there was a wide-open shot at the college football playoff considering the teams that uh, were, were right. I think there were six, right? Yeah, there were six coming into this game. So you have a one-loss Tennessee and, and TCU just ahead of you. If you win a conference championship, who knows what we're talking about? I mean, we could be talking about. And obviously, Michigan or Ohio State has to lose that game. So it was right there. Obviously, it's it's tough to lose that game. I, I, I wouldn't you know call it a uh, disappointing season because you still have a shot to play for the Pac-12 championship, which I didn't think you were going to. Um, but that that game in a vacuum, that is disappointing. You should definitely be hard on Dan Lanning and Bo Nix in that game. I thought Bo Nix had a good game now. He had an all right game, but you know it's it's that last drive. It's like it's like you kind of need him to 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 put his big boy pants on and lead him down the field for at least a field goal. Um, and and yeah, Dan Lanning's decision to go for it on fourth down was yeah. was probably the worst decision we're going to see in college football this year. Um, you can't do that. I, it, it, I mean, we're talking about. I just didn't like the play call at all. I maybe maybe it's the fact that he didn't think his defense was going to be able to stop him because they really hadn't all game. Maybe that was the reason why. But you basically gave him a free field goal. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, I just don't think Oregon's ready to take the next step. They're a great team, don't get me wrong, but they're not in the upper echelon yet. Also, if Bo Nix doesn't get hurt, they probably win that game. I mean, that that fourth and what, or that oh, that's true, series yeah. that they go that's four right. and out was a heartbreaker, and if Nix is that in is that right. game. They, were, they just couldn't stop. They just could not stop Nix in that offense, and then he goes down. I that, forgot, did, did he even play that last drive after the field goal? After the field goal for Washington, yeah, yeah, he did. Okay, how much time was left? Because I can't remember. Like Forty-five seconds, yeah. I think, or something. Like I mean, that. it would have been tough, but you'd like to have seen you'd, it. You'd like right? to have seen it. At least get in the field goal range, right? Um, I don't blame UCLA for that loss. Uh, well, I guess I do for that loss specifically, but in a vacuum, um, I think that overall, it's all their fault. It's this guy right here. Overall, yeah, it's your fault. <laughs> I forgot about that. But overall, I think if UCLA fans are upset, you know, angry about that loss because, frankly, it takes them out of the CFP conversation. Uh, Folks, you only have yourselves to blame. When you show, or when, you know, you have 10,000 fans at that stadium, game after game after (laughs) game after game, a game like this is going to happen. The players have no energy. They have an obvious look-ahead game next week to USC. This was a recipe for disaster, you have no fans on a you know cold seven thirty Los Angeles night. Like, there's not going to be a lot of atmosphere, not going to be a lot of energy. Those players from the get go looked like, all right, hey, we're looking at the next week. We don't have a lot of energy. Blah 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 blah. I don't think there could have been a game tougher for Chip Kelly to motivate his players than that one. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I um, agree with you. And and after having that go for week after week after week after week of no fan support there to motivate the players, motivate, and some of that is on the coaches, but you bring it up all the time. When you have no home field advantage, especially in college football, like the NFL, it's like, all right, these guys are paid professionals. I mean, figure it out. Right. Uh, You know, road home doesn't really matter spread wise as not nearly as much as college, but in college, these are 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids. We say it all the time and they don't even have a fan 
fan base, alumni yeah. base, student section support there to cheer them on, get hype for the game. That's hard, man. That is really hard, yeah, I mean, especially with USC on the horizon. Exactly. It's like spe- speaking from and it's college, it's high school football. It's not college football, but we would have games against inferior opponents where there would be nobody there. It was, it was. I mean, it was like an hour drive, so it, it's tough to get people to travel. But like, it was an away game for us. They wouldn't have people there. We didn't really have that many people there, and it was like. It's like the, nobody wants to be here. It's it's like raining. It's a little it's a little drizzly. But like to have your, I can't imagine being on the other sideline to have your fans not show up, especially when you're a good team too. You're in the you're in the top fifteen, top ten. Like that's that's got to be the hardest thing to live with. It's like what more can we possibly do? Mm-hmm. And that's why it's like, oh well, you guys just need to be good. You guys just need to win games. It's really hard to do that when you guys aren't showing up. <laughs> it's really hard to do that. And. Even when you are top 10, top 15, and they still don't show up, it's like they're not going to be there very often yep. in that top 15 exactly. ranking exactly. because you guys aren't showing up when your team's good. Extremely frustrating for the UCLA players and coaches. I would be ticked off. What more do they have to do to get some – you know what? UCLA should just relocate. They not beat be, South Alabama by one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no I, they should relocate and, and – Pick up a better alumni base or something, or a better student section. I don't. I don't get it. What, what's um, going on over there? Let's see. Where could they go? San but, Diego, maybe. I don't know. Well, San Diego State, right? Yeah. Well, it would. It would overtake San Diego State. <laughs> I don't or, know if they would. USD, they would still have to compete with too. So it's a credit area. There's literally nowhere they can go. But yeah, you no. know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, TCU proved to me that they are a serious team. They're serious about the season. They're serious about making the college football playoff. And you can talk about, you know, how, because I wasn't able to watch uh, most of this game. You can talk about how bad Quinn Ewers was. I, I don't know if it was, if he was just missing passes TCU or if it was TCU. Really, really well. It, it, I mean, they, they held a Texas offense to less than 200 yards. They had 199 yards of offense. And this is a team, this is this, is a, this TCU team has proven to me time and time again that their defense sucked. Like it was, you know, 40 points against Oklahoma State. It was 28 points against uh, Kansas State and, and against a backup quarterback, if we're being honest. Um, and then I think it was 31 to Kansas or, yeah, they won that game 41-31. And so it was like, okay, well, their defense just isn't good, but they have an elite offense. Well, this game, they, they proved to me that they can win both ways. Uh, they score 17 points offensively and win a football game. And, and they did it on the ground. Um they had 159 yards rushing, 138 of them came from one player, but they held Texas to 28 yards, and we're talking about a backfield that includes B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson. I mean, we, we have talked about them on this podcast being a top three running back unit in the league, top two in, in, running back unit in the country. It's like, to do that shows to me that, you know, because I, I picked Texas to win this game, I thought they were the better team. I don't know if they are. I think TCU is actually the best team in the Big 12 right now. They are proving it to me. They did it without really using Quentin Johnson. Yeah, he still had a touchdown in 66 yards, but they only threw the ball to him like four or five times, three times. And he had three receptions. They outgained him. They outpossessed him. Turnovers were the same. I mean, we're talking about a TCU team that, that has pretty much proven that they can compete with obviously anybody in the Big 12, but like they're ready to compete on a national level. And whether or not they can compete with the Tennessees, the Ohio States, the Georgias, the Michigans, the Alabamas is a story for another time. We'll see that eventually because I I do think that TCU right now after this game is probably going to win the Big 12. I I think Kansas State stands in the way and we saw what happened the first time. I think there's a, a very good shot that they do lose that game. Uh, this team is playing inspired. Uh, Sonny Dykes has got these guys ready to go. It, they got a chip on their shoulder, and it's pretty apparent. And I wouldn't want to be a, a, a team to have to um, 
you know, play them come come playoff time if they make it there. And they're gonna be they're gonna be the underdogs. They're probably gonna be I don't know, depending on who they play, 16, 17 point dogs, if not oh, more. Yeah. yeah. So I, I the early line for the LSU game is sixteen. <laughs> LSU's better than TCU in the eyes of Vegas. So yeah. so you know, I think they're gonna come in with a chip on their shoulder. Uh, they're serious and, and I'm I'm actually pretty impressed. Uh, I will say that. I thought they just absolutely emptied the kitchen sink on a freshman quarterback. They disguised <laughs> all of their coverages, made Quinn Ewers' life basically impossible. And in the first half, he was one for six for, I think, like eight or two yards maybe and like a pick or something like that. It was it was embarrassing. And after that, it was just like I mentioned this in the Tennessee-Georgia pick show or after the game, I think I said it was like, you know, a team having a cold shooting night. Once that first few shots yeah. don't go in, it's just like it's going to be a long night. And after that, Ewers was missing throws. He didn't have his confidence, and it was tough. But props to TCU. They completely outplayed Texas, and I didn't see that coming, and you didn't see that coming. No. We were we were stunned. Nope. Um, the Big Ten West is a shit show. <laughs> I wouldn't change the divisions, and this one is crazy. This is a big takeaway because obviously, listen, I know you don't like this, but I just saw so many people on Twitter, uh, a couple of YouTubers, those Michigan State guys we always listen to, um, going against them because there are ops. No, but we listen to them just to see what the opposition has to say. I just hear so many people talking about this. I couldn't resist. I love going against the herd, but I actually believe in this. And this isn't homerism because of Purdue. I want, I frankly will be eight and four. Like a lot of teams, the truth is, a lot of Big Ten West fan bases, and I'm not making this up, feel like. Who cares? If we go 8-4, and four, what's the point of going to the Big Ten Championship and getting absolutely waxed by a Michigan or Ohio State? You know but, how you solve that? What? Take away divisions. <gasps> <gasps> no, but I'll say this. Um, I wouldn't change the divisions. Why? Because it's crazy. Listen, I think competitive balance-wise, it's not close. You can't even argue it. The Big Ten East is a thousand times better than the Big Ten West. But I'll say this. You know, I, I heard... I think 10 times on that Michigan State thing. They're like, it's killing the Big Ten. It's killing the conference. It's killing, you know, it's really damaging it. Damaging how? The Big Ten has gotten a playoff team in the playoffs, I think, every year for what? The last four or five seasons. Um, And this year, they might even get two teams in. Not only that, you look at revenue, which is why divisions are in place. The Big Ten is getting as big of a TV deal as any conference in America. I don't think it's the main reason, but I think it helps. Listen, when the SEC, at least from a business perspective, gets valued for their contract, they weren't as valued high as the Big Ten. Part of that, at least in my opinion, is because we get Alabama-Georgia once every seven years, and instead we're getting Alabama-Mississippi State every single year. In the Big Ten, I get Ohio State-Michigan State, Ohio State-Michigan, Ohio State-Penn State every single year. Yeah, I think part of that, though, is because, one, Alabama and Georgia aren't rivals. And, two, the Big Ten also has the big TV markets. They have they have Detroit. They have um, Chicago. They have New York. They have the three top markets. I don't think New Yorkers watch Big Ten football that much. No, they probably don't, but you still get... The 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 cable is still paying for it. Like it, it's still they're still paying for it. The market, like the, no matter if they watch or not, the New York market is the New York market. And then you're talking about having now Los Angeles. They got the three top TV markets. That's why they have the biggest deal. Um, even going before that though, I'll say this: the Big Ten was one of the most watched conferences within the regular season before the additions of USC or UCLA. Forget TV markets and. Even before, you know, Rutgers, a lot of that is because we're getting Ohio State, Michigan State, all of those big-time matchups. And I'll ask, I'll ask this to folks. 
if we had a Big Ten championship, we throw away divisions, and it's Ohio State-Michigan Big Ten championship in seven days after the Week 14 matchup or the after Thanksgiving matchup, why are we playing the Thanksgiving matchup in the first place? I want that matchup to be for all the marbles, for everything, for you know the Big Ten championship for the playoffs, not for, okay, what's the point because we're both going to go to the Big Ten championship anyway where we get this matchup in seven days. I don't really see the point in that. Unless you want to put that game in week six or week seven. I personally don't. I like it where it is. But that's kind of how I feel about it. With Alabama-Georgia, it's like, okay, at least, you know, if we don't get it then, we'll get it in the SEC championship game. But that's because we're not getting it in the regular season. But we have to get Ohio State-Michigan in the regular season. That game has to be played every year. And with the way this is trending, it looks like it's going to be Ohio State-Michigan in the Big Ten championship for years to come. That takes away a lot of the mystique, the magic over the original matchup. And I don't know if I want that. The truth is this. We already have Ohio State-Michigan in the Big Ten Championship. It's played in Week 14. And whoever wins that game, we know they're going to win the Big Ten Championship. I like it that way. So then why play the Big Ten Championship? Why play the Big Ten Championship? I'm not a big Big Ten Championship guy. That kind of goes into my next takeaway. Big Ten Championship's 20 years old, and we have it into the fabric of college football and every sort of, you know, thing we talk about, oh, well, we have to have the championship game. We have to have this. We have to have that. Do we? I mean, I don't know. Listen, eh, I'm, whatever. I'm in favor of playing a round robin so that you play all the teams and that you don't need the, How the championship. Are you going to- the problem is, is now that you have 16 teams, it's, yeah. it's nearly impossible to do so, which is why, you, I mean, you take away divisions, you're, I mean, essentially that's what you're doing is a round robin of nine teams or 10 teams. And, and each team is going to play nine opponents out of the 15 possible. It's like, well, now is that even worth it at that point? But you can't have divisions because of how lopsided it is. I mean, we talk about, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, the three best teams in the Big Ten. They're all on the same side. I'm not worried about competitive balance. I'm not I am. Worried. Divisions aren't made, at least Kevin Warren doesn't make divisions because yeah, well, of Kevin Warren's an idiot. I don't like because him. Of compet- well, he's probably the best commissioner within Sankey collegiate sports is. right now. Sankey he, is. He is. I mean... Sankey is. What? Sankey, the SEC commissioner. I disagree. Listen... Kevin Warren gets hired to make the Big Ten money. He does. And he does a better job of that than any other commissioner in intercollegiate athletics. I, I appreciate Sankey, but at the end of the day, SEC doesn't make as much money as the Big Ten does. Part of that's because the Big Ten has the biggest matchups of the year. Obviously, these teams aren't good right now, and that happens in both divisions. I mean, other than Ohio State and Michigan, the Big Ten is kind of down. I'll be the first to admit that. But changing the divisions isn't going to help Michigan State. It's not. It's not going to help Maryland. It's not going to help Indiana. Um, I think maybe it helps the record a little bit. But, I mean, I think you want in your conferences the biggest matchups to be played. That's what's going on in the Big 12 right now. That conference is doing pretty well. Yeah, it's because they only have 10 teams, and they can, they can do that while exactly. still maintain competitive balance. Exactly. Uh, I mean, so I don't know. We'll see going forward, but I'll say this. In the big, we always talk about how lopsided the Big Ten championship games are. Are they? Listen, past eight seasons, three of the Big Ten championship games have been decided by one score. Three have been blowouts. Two have been two score games. The median game is a ten point win for the East team over the West team. And by the way, I think that's kind of what you want. You want your best teams in the college football playoff. You can actually make you know some noise in the you know uh, college football playoff rather than your two best teams cannibalizing themselves in the SEC championship game or in the Big Ten championship game and perhaps getting no teams in the uh, college football playoff obviously I, Alabama and Georgia I don't think it would I think I think you kind of hit it on the nail there is that 
you play the game, uh, one team wins, and then you play in the in the Big Ten championship game, the other team wins, then you get two teams in the playoff. Uh, it's a big risk to take, but I mean, listen, we've seen it with Alabama when the Auburn was fantastic. It was like Auburn made it to the SEC championship game. Alabama still made the or the college football playoff. Yep. Because part partially because they didn't have to play in the SEC championship game. Yeah, but it's a weapon you, just as much as it is a you know. As, yeah, as, but as if you can, I, I feel like it's it's more of a more of a weapon just because you can avenge the only loss in your schedule. I feel like that is the thing that that helps more than it doesn't. You don't think it's weird though playing the Week 14 game and then going to the Big Ten championship game? No, I I don't. Um, Personally, because when it was Leaders Legends, that's exactly what would have happened had Michigan been good. Yeah, I think that would have been weird. And I don't think it would have been because I still think it is Michigan Ohio State. There, it, there is just as much on the table, in maybe not you know in in terms of accolades in the first game that there would be in the championship game, but there is just as much hate. There's just as much spite. Why in, do we in need game to play one. that game seven days after we've already played the first? We have the winner because no? I think it would be awesome. But we already found out who won. Why do we need to play that game again if we already played seven days ago? That's how I feel. Because seven, uh, nothing changes in seven days. That's not true. Why do we? Why do we want the game for all the marbles to be played in Indianapolis rather than Ann Arbor or Columbus? Have the game in Ann Arbor or Columbus be the huge game. Whoever wins that game gets to go to Indianapolis and play some, you know, rinky dink <laughs> Big Ted West team. At that point, I, I mean, I think you should just make it a six-team conference of of. Or a fourteen conference of Michigan State, Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State. The rest of the conference is dragging them down. That's right? probably what pods would be from a revenue perspective. It would make the Big Ten a lot of money, <laughs> and that's what I, Kevin Warren is being tasked with doing. Because my problem is, is is that you know you get the or you get the Purdue's, the Illinois, the Iowa's, the Wisconsin's who can be mediocre and still make a championship game. Whereas if you're Michigan, Ohio State, you have to be perfect. You have to be elite if you want to if you want to make it. And I don't think that's fair. Yeah. They're not striving for fairness. At least Kevin Warren isn't, and it makes sense. I don't blame them. I th- but you can you can t- do away with divisions and still have all of those games. That's my point. Well, then it would still not be fair because some teams are playing these you know really tough games, and that will hurt their well. If you still have the Big Ten championship, at least that will hurt their their Big Ten record. Um, rather than other teams who get to play, let's say Purdue gets to play Indiana, you know Illinois and Minnesota as their three games. Wouldn't that hurt? Let's say Michigan State, if they have to play Penn State, Michigan State, and Ohio State rather than Purdue. Has well, to Michigan play. State wouldn't play Ohio State. They would play Penn State and Michigan. Michigan would play Michigan State and Ohio State. You're missing out on that match. I don't really get. I don't really think Michigan State, Penn State gets or Michigan gets ratings. State, Ohio State. No, I don't think that gets ratings either. It does a lot, mm. hell of a lot more than Purdue, uh, Illinois does. Well, yeah, but that's because those two teams suck. Like that's my exactly. point. Exactly. Yes. Is, Michigan State, Ohio State gets more ratings than Purdue, Ohio State does. It's not close. Michigan State, Ohio State? Yes. Just because of Ohio yes. State. If Ohio State plays, no. plays Purdue, that gets just no. as many Ohio ratings. Ohio State, Indiana did not get as I think if you look at it, if you look at it this year, if you look at it this year, Ohio State, Michigan State is going to have the same ratings that, you know, Ohio State, uh, who, who's their non-conference game, Iowa had. Non-division game, you mean? Uh, maybe. I, I don't know. Like, I don't think, I don't think Michigan State moves the needle. Only because, well, when they're good, they do, and they're typically better than your Iowa or... Illinois or Nebraska. Well, not Nebraska, I guess, but Iowa or Illinois or Purdue. It's true. Oh, my back is killing me. I, I don't know. I just I hate divisions. I think they're stupid. Because uh, right now they're based on geography. And I as much as I love geography when you're doing a conference, when you're doing when you're doing a division within a conference, I think it's dumb. I do. Um, Maryland has fallen off of a cliff 
And frankly, they're traps because they just extended Mike Loxley this past offseason. Um, when you look at the Maryland Terrapins, uh, they have they have they started the season out looking like they would they were going to be a legitimate team, a legitimate uh, at least um, contender or or spoiler for one of the big three teams in the Big Ten East. Um, they they start out three and zero. They have a, a pretty good win against SMU at home. I thought SMU was going to be a better team than they were this year. And then they lose to Michigan by seven. Yeah, it wasn't actually a seven-point game. I mean, it was uh, it was closer to a two-score two game, and they score late. And then they beat Michigan State, and they're, all of a sudden they're four and one, and then we find out Michigan State's not actually a good team. Since then, they've won just two games, and it was against Indiana and Northwestern. They've lost to Purdue, Wisconsin, and Penn State, and uh, Wisconsin and Penn State games were not even close. And they only beat Northwestern by seven points. They only beat Indiana by five points. Like, these are bad games. They still have Ohio State left on their schedule this weekend. They will get clapped. And and you're going to be sitting here. It's like, this was supposed to be the best Maryland team of recent memory when you talk about uh, Talia Tagovailoa, um, Hem, was Hemby, the running back, um, Rakim Jarrett, and Dante Demas. I mean, you talk about the offensive talent these this team had. It was supposed to be the year that they they messed around and were nine and three uh, with a with a Big Ten win over you know Michigan State, a, a Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State. Um, obviously, Michigan State not being that good this year um, it made that even more possible than than it did originally. They should have found a way to finish fourth in the Big Ten this year. Is my point, and they still might because Michigan State isn't very good. But they're going to do it with five wins or six wins, I think, is what they're going to finish with. If unless they lose, or yeah, they're six and four right now. They're going to lose to Ohio State, so they might be able to finish seven and five in a year that they have had more offensive talent than they have in I don't know fifteen twenty seasons. Like True. Mike Loxley, for all intents and purposes, looked like he was the guy to put Maryland in that frisky tier. Like I mean, Maryland is never going to be an elite program. It's just. Those expectations are, are are unreachable, if we're being completely honest. But Mike Loxley seems like the guy, to me at least, that he's going to stay at Maryland and be okay with going 9-3, and 8-4 every single year. Um, it doesn't look like that's going to happen, and, and, and if I'm a Maryland fan, I'm disappointed. There's not many of them, but if I'm a Maryland fan, I'm disappointed in you can't fire Mike Loxley because you got to pay his buyout in your Maryland. You don't have that. I mean, you probably do with the with the new TV deal coming. You probably could buy him out, um, but I don't know if you want to. I don't know if you want to spend money on that. And so right now they're trapped through twenty twenty six. And if he does figure out a way to get a little get a little feisty, get a little get a little shysty, um, he could have two years added on because of incentives. So now you're talking about twenty twenty eight of just more mediocre Maryland football. Uh, you know, maybe that is just the expectation for Maryland is that they're going to be a doormat for the big four in the big 10 East. I wouldn't want that. I want to be at least be able to at least compete for with those teams and maybe, you know, have one year where it's like we have a year that we make it to the big 10 championship game. I don't think that's possible um, right now. I just don't. And, and, and there's really nowhere you can go from here. Mike Loxley, as long as he, as long as he doesn't do anything that is, capable of uh, firing him due to the morality clause, you're stuck with him. I mean, it, he, I think he's getting paid like $8 million, $7 million a year. Yeah, I'm not so sure. They're not just happy going 7-5 and five every year. That, quite that's true, too. I mean, uh, Actually, no, it's not. It's uh, $4 million a year. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really not that bad of a contract. As fun as Maryland is, you know, it's a basketball school. I think that's kind of their first priority, even in the Big Ten, which isn't as much of a basketball, well, conference as the ACC, I guess traditionally speaking, but uh, still, yeah, 
definitely a sticky situation. I mean, it was the 30-point loss that mm. to Penn State where they scored zero points that really just Especially pushed over that the offense. It's like it's like I it'd be one thing if they were six and four and finish going to finish the season seven and five, and it was because their um, their defense was just crap. Well, they scored, I think, 23 points against Northwestern. I, I just closed out the tab, so I, I don't remember. They scored 10 points against Wisconsin, and they didn't score at all against Penn State. That, that I'm sorry, but that's not going to cut it. Um, Penn State's real. That's my next takeaway. I mean, uh, you know, I've addressed it a little bit in the pick show as why I wanted to take them as my lock, but I said this. I think Penn State is probably getting overshadowed due to the fact that they looked bad in their big spots where everybody was watching them. And, you know, that's ultimately on them. But at the end of the day, it's kind of something that is being overlooked. You know, Penn State, other than a few bad plays, were right there with Ohio State. That's the truth. If it isn't for JTT um, for Ohio State, that game's probably very close and maybe even Penn State wins. Obviously, you can't take away Ohio State's best defensive player that day but i mean uh it's pick sixes it's turnovers it's tip balls forced fumbles stuff that is a little bit more chancy than your typical just shutting them down when penn state is playing their best football i think they are you know fairly close to ohio state and michigan or at least closer than anything we've seen so far um so it's frustrating that they really looked bad and missed their opportunities to pull off the upset but other than that, I think this team is still a very good team, and it's going to be difficult for James Franklin because 10-2 and two is just meh, especially this year in the Big Ten. It just kind of feels like a big letdown, and it's bad for them <laughs> because, you know, and this kind of goes to the point where we need to expand to 12 teams. It's like if, if James Franklin and this Penn State team was – you know, if if we had a 12-team playoff, they're firmly in. They're probably 10-9, yeah. something like that. And not only is the this is a fantastic season. Uh, you can totally excuse the Ohio State loss. You can just or and Michigan loss. You can just losses. You can just be like, hey, we're in the playoff. We pick up a win. This is an incredible season. One of our best in recent memory. As it is, it's like, oh, we're playing in the Citrus Bowl or oh, we're playing in the. Wait, what did you just say? Citrus Bowl. Okay, so you, I thought you said Citrus. Whatever. Um, the Rely Quest Bowl, whatever. And people are like, that's a huge bummer. So um, it is what it is. But, yeah, really why we need to expand to 12 teams because this is a very good, maybe not great, but a very good Penn State team, and they will have nothing to show for it. Yeah, it's tough. Um, It kind of brings me to my next point because you mentioned the playoff, and I want to talk about auto bids because there's six auto bids, right? Five power, five conferences, and then a group of uh, five uh, for the sixth one. They're stupid. I don't know how many more times we have to do this, guys. And this is the year that proves it. Last year was an anomaly in the fact that we had a group of five team be in the top four. I think we had Boise State at like three or four one time in, um, was it 2007 when they beat Oklahoma or 2006? Uh, I think at the end of the year they finished um, in the top four. But UCF right now is the 17th best team in the country according to the AP um, I think they were 22 according to the college football playoff uh, after they uh, or before they played Tulane, which they ended up winning. Tulane was 17 too. Can't imagine that UCF is going to get much higher than that. And a 12 team playoff, you're talking about a, a team jumping up to at least the 12 seed. So five spots, they're jumping five teams just because they've got a group of five name next to or a group of five logo next to their name. That's not okay with me. If if I am all for the group of five having an opportunity to make the college football playoff. 
but it has to be earned. Mm. I'm sorry. Uh, you lost to Louisville. Louisville six and four. They are a at best a good group of five team or power five team. Uh, what I think they are is probably pretty like average. They're an average power five team. Louisville is. And you're telling me that they beat you, but you're going to get in because you play in the group of five. Now UCF isn't going to have this luxury after this year. They're going to have to win in the Big Ten, in the Big Twelve in order to do it. But then you're now talking about you're losing Cincinnati, you're losing UCF, you're losing um, uh, who are the other BYU, you're losing Houston. I mean, those historically, at least in recent memory, those are the best group of five teams. And so now you're talking about a, a potential where a three loss to Lane is in is in the the playoff because they have. They're the best group of five team when it, with losses um, to other uh, American opponents. Southern Miss, they lost to UCF. Like uh, we can't, we can't do this, guys. Like this is, this is not, this is not okay. Um, I think that, I think that bids are dumb in the first place. I don't think if you know if uh, Purdue were to somehow upset uh, Michigan or Ohio State in the in the Big Ten championship game, I still don't think they deserve to be in the college football playoff yeah. at 9-4. and four. I don't. I mean, we know what Purdue does in those big games. They show up. So it, it's, it wouldn't be all that surprising if they did somehow find a I way to win that stunned. game. I would be um, But, like, to, to have them be in the playoff would be would be just so stupid. Like, penalize the team that was playing in the in, in the championship game for losing, but you can't reward a four-loss team by putting them in the in the playoff when they do, do not even close to belong to deserve there. So I just think, I think, yes, you expand, but, and, and I know the, the key of expansion was to get auto bids like they had to in order to, in order to get it done. But to me, that's almost a sacrifice that is going to make this, you know, the people who are like, oh, no, expansion is terrible. We can't expand. We can't expand. We stick at four or we or we go to six or we go back to two. For those people, this is going to be a field day for them because we're going to have a, a bullshit number 12 team in there. Um, we're gonna, and I think there's gonna come a time where we have a, uh, a a champion that doesn't deserve to be in there that's gonna get in because they played a really damn good game in the championship game. We'll see what happens, but uh, if you see if this were to be a 12 team uh, playoff this year and UCF gets in as the 16th team, I would I would be pretty pissed. Um, I would take Caleb Williams at one this year in the NFL draft. Um, I'm taking uh, was it Harold Perkins? One? Yeah, oh, I should have made a takeaway about him. Um, but no, I, I would take. Uh, uh, Caleb Williams won. Oh my gosh. He was, uh, he's been absolutely phenomenal this year. I watched him in the Colorado game and he actually made a bad pick, but I'll say this. He rebounds from that game and just the absolute traits and numbers and whatever. I mean, I just don't know if we've seen something like it since at least Kyler. I mean, holy cow, that guy, athleticism, huge arm, accuracy. Uh, it just feels like every deep throw where he has a guy open, he just makes it. Um, I've been very impressed with him, and I think, you know, we talk about Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and all these guys. I watched Bryce Young a couple of times now without these elite wide receivers he had last year, and I think to myself, I don't know if I would go with him. Oh, over, my God. Over, over I disagree with you there. I know, but I, I'm i sorry. I think Bryce Young just sometimes, he's just like, he's a little bit taller than Caleb Williams, I think, but other than that, I think I'd give absolutely everything to. Uh, um, I think I think improv- improvisational Williams. skill is Bryce Young. I do. I, I don't. Mean, Caleb he, Williams makes guys miss consistently and makes throws on the run. Yeah, but you're talking about Bryce Young having to deal with one of the worst offensive lines Alabama's ever had, and he's still so putting very good O line. It's it's really not that good of an O line. I mean, probably just as good as USC's. They're getting they're getting 
just swamped by some of these teams. And he's, I mean, he's still been able to make plays. So I, I, I disagree with you there, but you're right. You have obviously every right to, the, to your opinion. Oh, shit. Go ahead. <laughs> you didn't have to be an asshole about it. Well, yeah. No, I've got every right God to my damn, opinion. Man. That's all I got. Though. Oh, my God. Um, so uh, Kentucky is in a, in a deep spot. Uh, Mark Stoops is, he has, I think it was seven, if he gets to seven or eight wins, he gets an automatic, um, automatic extension, one year extension on his contract. And I don't know if they're going to get there this year because they lost to Vanderbilt and it's been, it's been a tough, uh, fall descent for them. I mean, they, they got vastly outplayed by Vanderbilt who didn't have, or was on a 26 straight game losing streak in the SEC. That was what, what 2019 was their last SEC win. And you're the team that they, that they beat at, it was at your place too. And so now you look at the last six games of Kentucky football, you lose to Ole Miss in a game that you probably should have won because Will Levis, your supposed number one overall quarterback, uh, can't figure out how to hold on to the football fumbles twice in the red zone. I'm still pissed about that game. Uh, then you lose to South Carolina. Obviously, that's without Will Levis, but you're a better team than South Carolina is, and you got vastly outplayed. And then you beat a uh, Mississippi State team by 10, and Mississippi State turns out is not very good. You get housed by Tennessee, lose 44-6. to You barely beat Missouri, beat them by four, and then you lose to Vanderbilt. I mean, this is a free fall of all free falls for a team that a lot of people thought was going to be a good, uh, especially with Will Levis at quarterback. I mean, he's just been abysmal. Uh, getting outplayed by Vandy is, is, is one of the... As a head coach, one of the most embarrassing things that you can have happen to you. I mean, we're talking about a program that that cares very little about their football team. They they are there for baseball and baseball only. They do not give a crap about their football team, and and you just got vastly outplayed by them. So I, I think that Kentucky's got to like take a long, hard look in the mirror um, about this season because it's not like it's not like it was injuries all year long. I mean, it was. Poor coaching. It was poor play from a supposed, you know, Heisman candidate at the start of the year. Uh, so it's just, it's bad. A bad season. Big yikes is what I put. Big yikes. NFL? NFL. Um, the Cowboys coaching staff cost them the football game. Um, it was three prongs here. Uh, McCarthy, Kellen Moore, and Dan Quinn just dialed up the perfect combination for how to lose a football game to an inferior opponent an absolutely heartbreaking loss 28 to 14 going into the fourth quarter Cowboys against Packers and the Cowboys melt down they give up 17 unanswered points including 14 in the fourth quarter and three in overtime to lose the football game um and it was a couple of things starting with Dan Quinn first off not only using uh, Micah Parsons as an uh, blitzer, inside blitzer, pretty much you know the whole game, but dropping him into coverage in key passing downs. What are you doing, brother? Come on, man. What about this Packers team made you think, oh yeah, let's use Micah Parsons as a decoy? I know he was hobbled a little bit third and fourth quarter, but even before that, it was a lot of dropping into coverage and using him as a blitzer. You're just completely taking away his potential. By doing that. Have somebody else do that. Have a safety do that. I don't know. Figure something else out. Do not do that with Micah Parsons. He's too skilled to not be used as an edge rusher for pretty much the entire game. I thought he did not play well when he was used as an edge rusher. I didn't think he played well in general. But I think that had to do with coaching more than anything else. And it was extremely frustrating. Another thing. Using Trayvon Diggs, who at least I I didn't do any research on this. But I didn't see give up one catch the entire game. Um, 
they use him on Alan Lazard, who does pretty much nothing, uh, instead of Christian Watson, who goes for three touchdowns because he's bigger, more athletic, faster than any corner that the Cowboys have other than Trayvon Diggs. It was pretty much taking candy from a baby. Uh, like, come on. How many times do you have to get that? I understand that Alan Lazard was far and away the wide receiver one coming into this game. But after the second touchdown, you didn't think, hmm, maybe let's uh, let's guard Christian Watson with somebody else. Let's try somebody else other than, you know, Anthony Brown in the four-string corner. Unbelievable. Uh, ridiculous in that respect. Kellen Moore, overtime. What are you doing, man? The play calling goes from run, 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 run the ball to completely abandoning the run and trying to throw for it after getting like 60 yards that they picked up completely on the ground. Um, and Mike McCarthy, man alive, third and four. They have the ball at the you know Packers 36-yard line. Uh, and you don't tell Kellen Moore, hey, man, I'm planning on going for this. Run the effing football. Like, if you know you're going for that, get in Kellen Moore's ear and tell him, bro, run the ball twice. We're going for this on fourth down. Because what it looked like to me was it was – pretty much third and three, third and four, whatever you want to call it. Um, Kellen Moore thought, I've got one play to get this. Let me call my best passing play, get my guy open. It wasn't there, incomplete pass, and it was like, oh, shoot, now what? If you know you're going for it on fourth down, why wouldn't you have run the football there? Don't really get that at all, or at least try something like a wide receiver screen you kind of had success on, getting C.D. Lamb out in space. Instead, it was like quick slants against Jair Alexander, who strapped C.D. Lamb or Noah Brown. Uh, That was extremely frustrating. Um, and yeah, it cost them the game. I thought the officials weren't very good. Uh, there was an obvious missed pass interference call on Alexander that would have given the Cowboys the first down, I think on that third and three play. But at the end of the day, this is a team that you should be two, if not three scores better than, and no, and like, this is the thing. With Mike McCarthy, I mean, you know, I really like the guy, but there's an argument to be made. He's kind of Andy Reid Jr. It is well-coached teams that play well for the majority of the regular season and blow teams out a lot, but when they need scores and they need good drives, he makes poor decisions in crunch time. And we saw it last year in the playoffs, and if it comes back to bite him in the ass, I won't have anything to say. I can't say anything. Uh, You know, it, it bit him there, and this is that's the critique, and until he breaks that, it holds up. It does. Um, let let us pump the brakes a little bit on the, on the Detroit Lions. They've won two games in a row and are now three and six. But uh, listen, they did it by getting the one point win over the Bears this week in a game where Justin Fields threw in one of the worst pick sixes I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, they were down fourteen points in the fourth quarter, and Justin Fields basically gave them that uh, or gave them the opportunity to get back in that game. And then it was the 15-9 win over the Green Bay Packers. And that was a game that Aaron Rodgers, he looked about as bad as I've ever seen him look. I mean, it was it was obviously the red zone interceptions. He was getting baited by Kirby Joseph, who was of rookie safety. So it was, it was a good game from the Lions' defense in the sense that, hey, you made Aaron Rodgers uncomfortable. You made him, you know, force the issue a couple of times. But... Uh, it, that's something that they haven't been able to do like ever before. Aaron Rodgers has historically owned the Detroit Lions, and so that was an uncharacteristic game for him. Obviously, comes back and plays pretty well against the uh, Dallas Cowboys. Um, 
the next four of the next five games for for the Lions are against teams with a winning record. They got to play the Bills. They got to play the Vikings. They got to play the Giants. They got to play the Jets. And the one team that doesn't have a winning record is the Jacksonville Jaguars, who, if you ask me, are more talented than the Lions are on paper. Um, I, I think that there could be, you know. There are Lions fans talking about, you know, we're, we're a frisky playoff team right now. Like, what are you talking about? Did you not see the first six games of the season, uh, first seven games of the season where we blew leads, where we looked uh, incompetent at times? It was like, well, well, yeah, but the seven the seventeen playoff, and then now the the Niners are they have four losses. We only have six, or so like two games out. Like, come on, what what are we doing? I feel like this is something that that Lions fans do every year. Where it's like it's like they start the season off really bad, and it's like, well, they're gonna win two games in a row, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, we have a shot now. If they put up like the in the hunt graphic, we'd be in it. Uh, what that is that is such a broken thought process. Talk to me after this stretch of games if they come out of it and are uh, what, what they're three and six now. If they come out of it and are um, four and nine. Or or five and nine or um, four and ten, then then you'll have your answer. But if they can go three and two in this stretch or or four and one, okay, now you have my attention. But for now, let's not act like this team is any good. They're still young. They're still inexperienced. They're still dealing with injuries. So let's not let's not do this playoff talk because what's what's eventually going to happen is you're going to talk yourself up. Then you're going to get knocked back down again, and you're going to have the same opinions and thoughts that you had the you know the previous five weeks when they were losing a bunch of games. Um, Tua is a top 10 QB. Um, I've seen enough. Going into the Browns game, I thought, okay, this can't be true. he's Come not a below now. average starter. He's an average starter. Um, and then watching the Browns game, I thought to myself, wait a minute, this isn't an average starter. This is a top 10 starter, one of the better starters in the league. league. Folks, I'll say this. I watched that Browns game, and he didn't miss a single throw the entire game. Not one throw. He had to have missed one, right? Not one. I mean, he had incompletions, of course, but, I mean, he made every single throw. Uh, and, and honestly, yes, he doesn't have the explosive arm that everybody else does. I think that's, you know, easily apparent. Everybody can see that. But every quarterback has limitations. You know, they just all come in different shapes and sizes. Is his potential probably the 20th best in the league? Probably. Yeah, I think that's completely valid. But who cares about potential? I mean, if you give well, me... Well, Levis is potential. <laughs> yeah, He's not a very good quarterback. If you give me, you know, day in and day out, best QBR in the league, which Tua does, top five in touchdowns thrown, uh, top five in least interceptions thrown, uh, nearly top ten in yards, considering he hasn't played uh, uh, in a couple of games due to the concussion, that's really impressive. And yes, he hit some open guys because Mike McDonald is a really smart offensive coach, but... Other times, he threw passes that I was like, that guy's not even open. How did he make that throw? That is insanely accurate throw. And I'll say this. It's going to sound crazy. Tyreek Hill said this at the beginning of the year. He said, two is the most accurate quarterback I've ever played with, and that includes Patrick Mahomes. I don't know how crazy he is. Uh, Tua does a lot of things poorly. What he doesn't do is, you know, be inaccurate. He is... He makes every throw within 30 yards. He makes the throw. He, He just hits guys. And sometimes they're open. Sometimes they're not. It doesn't matter. He makes it. With Mahomes, sometimes I feel like he has the capability to be as good as anybody, but as far as standing in the pocket and just making accurate throws to you know receivers, it's close. It really is close. I don't really blame Tyreek for saying that at the beginning of the year. Obviously, you don't want to re- overreact to it too much. But if we're giving other guys the chance to develop and get into their you know next year, 
Why not give Tua that chance? It's year three. I thought he looked better at, uh, you know, different stretches of last year. I think this is, a, you know, certainly a progression. And, you know, Mike McDonald, give him credit. He's doing a great job. Or who's their head coach? What's their head coach's first name? Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel. There it is. McDaniel, you know, is doing a great job of, uh, you know, highlighting his strengths <laughs> and kind of, you know, um, putting away his weaknesses. But, I mean, you look at the numbers and you look at how he throws the ball to sometimes not even open receivers. He made a pass to Jalen Waddle, which I just thought unbelievable. And you look at the quarterbacks around the league this year, and I said to myself, I'll take a guy who doesn't make the terrible decision and cost, the, cost his team the game and turn the ball over a lot and hits open receivers and makes really accurate passes. I'll take that guy. I know he doesn't have a lot of potential, but, man, there are a lot of bad quarterback play and just stupid decisions that Tua doesn't make, and I really appreciate that. You know, I like how that, I like how that, that was your last point because I got a guy who does do that those things that people consider an MVP level quarterback. And his name is Josh Allen. Um, listen, Josh Allen isn't a top 10 quarterback. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But Josh Allen is very mediocre. When you look at the totality of his stats, his highs are higher than, or about as high as anybody in the league, but his lows are very, very low. Like we're talking about, you know, Jacoby Brissett type numbers. Like that's, that's, that's what he can be in his in his bad days. You watch the Minnesota Vikings game. I'll tell you why they lost that. It was Josh Allen. It was the botched snap in the end zone that gave the Vi- or they gave the Vikings a touchdown. It was the two interceptions late in the game that cost them. Um, one of those being at the, at the, in the red zone or just outside the red zone to end the game. I mean, he was making a throw. It's like, well, what are you doing? So let me run th- run you through some of his uh, his quarterback ratings um, through the season. So this is 158.3 is a perfect score. The highest he's gotten is 134.1. That was in his game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Obviously, they're one of the worst teams in the league. Um, so so you, you can take that with what you will. Um, he started the year out against the Rams and the Titans, 112 and 128.9, respectively. Those were great games. And then he followed it up with a 94.7 in the game where he did throw the ball 63 times against the Dolphins. They lost that one by two. It was 21-19. I don't know how you throw the ball 63 times and only have 19 points to show for it if you're supposedly this you know, alien of a quarterback. And then against Kansas City, he had 117.6. Those are the those are the the pretty good games. I, I mean, I, the 94.7 is about average. Like, it's just an average game. But the other one's over 100. I would consider that a pretty good start. Um, he's had a 68.4 game. He's had a 75.1. He's had a 46.8. And he's had a 78.6. Those are not good numbers. He was basically, what they're saying to you there is that he was a below average quarterback those games. Like, what do you what, what do you want from me? He People are talking about him like he's, you know, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Like, he's better than Patrick Mahomes. Like, he is, he is this unicorn of a player. And while that might be true, while he might be a unicorn, you can't tell me that he's actually, you know, this the number one quarterback in the league. I mean, the number one quarterback in the league has bad games, but not to the point where their quarterback rating is a 46.8. That is backup-level stuff. He was 18 of 34 for 205 yards and two picks against the New York freaking Jets. That's a team that I'm, that you are clearly more talented than. You got outcoached by Robert Sala. Like that, that is what happened. Robert Sala had a vice around you, and you just weren't able to do anything about it. Um, so can we talk about Josh Allen as he is? He's leading the league in interceptions. He's got a, fumbles to add on to that. I think he's got... Um, he's fumbled the ball... Three, four, five, seven, eight times this year. Oof. Eight times he's fumbled the ball. Only three of them have been um, 
have been lost. So so you talk about potential turnovers. He's got 11 interceptions, and then he's got eight fumbles on top of that. So that's 19. And that's not even counting the, the picks that, you know, should have, that, that would call uh, turnover-worthy plays. He is reckless. He is, uh, really, he is, that, that is the perfect word to describe him. He's reckless. He thinks that he is invincible. And it is very, very clear he's not. He's had three straight games of two interceptions. I'm sorry. He's just not that good of a quarterback. Like, you cannot tell me that he is this, the, the, the MVP frontrunner or this MVP candidate when he is playing this poorly. Uh, um, when Ross played this poorly, it knocked him out of the conversation. I mean, he had, you know, he would have the, the first eight weeks would be some of the best football we've ever seen. And, that he, yeah. would, and he would fall off a, he would fall off a cliff he would, uh, in the last eight games, and it took him out of the conversation. To me, they should take Josh Allen out of the conversation. They are, I think, that in those... In those last three games, they're one and two, and two of the losses have been have been solely on his shoulders. Yep, he's costing his team games for sure. So, and and you mentioned it, a guy like Tua, he doesn't make those plays, and and he did have the nickname. Was it last year? Turn turned the ball over. Yep, he hasn't done that this year. I he think hasn't. I think he's got what two three, picks? Three picks. Yeah, three picks. Like, come on, I. I would rather have. I'm right there with you. I would rather have that than a guy like Josh Allen, who's going to turn the ball over three times a game and and has essentially cost me it. And you know what I think we're essentially seeing almost identical offenses. You're having two yep. dynamic wide receivers mixed with a quarterback, one that delivers the ball on time, delivers it well, doesn't make mistakes. The other is kind of erratic and, you know, makes yeah. the offense a lot about himself. And don't tell me the Dolphins' running game is elite. Most are, no, I was just going to say it's a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not elite, but it's a little bit better. <laughs> it is a little bit better. Um, Jeff Saturday was a great hire for the Colts. Um, I think... I think I talked about this a little bit in the pick show, and, you know, there were people, Joe Thomas, one of my childhood heroes, favorite Cleveland Brown of all time, probably, who said... Not anymore. No, it still is, but he said, disgusting, egregious, awful, terrible hire, because Jim Mercer hired him as a yes man, and blah, 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 blah. Folks, enough with the conspiracy theories. Yes. We need to stop saying that Ursay is literally the puppet master of everything behind the scenes. <laughs> Three weeks ago, you told me Sam Ellinger starting was a byproduct of Jim Ursay being behind the locker room. And then you tell me, okay, Saturday was hired to be a yes man, and he's only going to do everything Ursay wants Ryan him to started. do. And then Saturday starts Matt Ryan. Uh, that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> Which one is it? Ursa can't be doing everything. Yeah, he can. Absolutely he can play. Everything. He can play. He plays all four sides. Then fine. He's contradicting himself. <laughs> I don't know why, but he is. Like, what in the world is going on? I didn't see a lot of uh, yes man there. And if that is the yes man and he's winning games, fine. Hire a yes man. Uh, listen, it's not a very talented team. A whole lot less talented than the Las Vegas Raiders, and they came in at their place and won a tough road game. I got a lot of respect for a guy who had been there for three or four days yep. and you know, brings the locker room together, gets those guys to buy in and win a close game. That's what I talk about so often with these new coaches. You know, they probably don't have the talent. That's the reason why the last guy got fired. It's more about can they come up with those close win games when they're right in it rather than, all right, well, are they just going to absolutely dominate teams? They can't dominate teams. Otherwise, the last guy wouldn't have gotten fired. Mm -hmm. It's about winning the close games when you're in them and then won a close game when when they were in it. Obviously, it was to Josh Daniels, and he's terrible. Uh, But um, at the end of the day, they won that game. A lot of of, uh, credit goes to Jeff Saturday, although I would have liked him to have started Sam Ellinger. Yeah, that's that's kind of tough for you. It's it a little is, bit tough but for you. But what can you do? Matt Ryan actually looked pretty good. Yeah, he did. 
Um, I give it 15 years until we have European expansion. That game in Munich was unbelievable. The atmosphere was awesome. You can tell that that, Europe, that Europeans have been waiting for NFL football for a long time. And, and they had it for a while with the NFL Europa. Um, and it went away for a little bit. Now it's back. Obviously, uh, we have the London games every year that, that essentially solved the stadium. Talk about filling, out, filling up a 75,000-seat uh, stadium for NFL football. Like there are NFL teams that can't do that. Like that is unbelievable. And and yes, you do have the scarcity supply and demand uh, aspect of it. But I think, I think within the next 15 years, you're going to have a division or a conference that I would probably be a division. I don't, the logistics are a little, are a little challenging. And I, I've, I've seen some things on how you would tackle it, but I think you'd have a division, if not, you know, two divisions that, that are European teams in the NFL. Um, we talked about uh, having, you know, one, maybe two teams in Germany, having a team in London, having a team in, in Barcelona or Madrid, Paris, even um, you, you also have Amsterdam um, in, in, um, oh no, the Netherlands. Um, and you could also talk about putting one in Austria or Switzerland. Like they they like they love football there too. It it is it's a right market. And what the NFL has done or hasn't done that the NBA has is go international. And it's a lot easier to play basketball internationally than it is football. You need a lot of stuff. You need pads. You need football. You need cleats. You need helmet. You need all that stuff. And so it's it's a little tougher for some of these countries to play. What the NFL needs to do is start to make a sizable investment in some of those areas to then create that uh, that expansion. Because they, let's be honest, there's no there's no more market that they can get in the NFL. It it is it is oversaturated right now. There is no new new potential in, in in the United States. There just is maybe maybe somewhere in the middle of the United States because that central U.S. in the in the plains is kind of empty. But they all have teams that they root for anyway. Yep. So I, I don't know I don't know how good that market is. Talk about moving a team to Canada. We th- we we kind of bounced back and forth of you know is Mexico City a viable option? We decided probably not. You could play one or two games there, but probably not for a team the entire season. But we think that Europe is absolutely a great place to go. A great decision. Portugal. Um, you can even put one in there in in Portugal. I can't remember what's the um is it a beat? No, I don't know. I'm not gonna. Uh, but yeah, so. Expansion's coming. Uh, put a team in Berlin. That's my next takeaway. Um, uh, yeah, I would I would put a team in Berlin, Germany. They did a fantastic job, like you said, uh, filling up that that uh, stadium uh, almost to full capacity, like sixty five thousand people. There. Lisbon, Portugal. That's what and I was um, for two teams they probably knew you know little <laughs> to nothing about. Would be my guess. I don't know. Maybe they you know did know a lot about the Bucks and Seahawks. But my point being that aren't that. Is not those teams aren't their own teams exactly. Like, um, so I I think if you put a team in Berlin, I don't know, you know, you'd have to do something with the branding that would be pretty cool, so that could represent uh, all of Germany, Berlin sausages. I don't know, but that's um, why I think you could do two. You could do two two teams in Germany. Yeah, maybe. Um, but I think I think if you did something like that, that would be fantastic. The brand would be fan- fantastic. I mean, it's a, a huge city that. You know, nobody's taking advantage of professional sports-wise other than the soccer teams. Yeah. But I think, you know, Is, there's a, an availability and an opportunity there. So yeah. I would put a team in Berlin. And not only was it the amount of people that showed up, it was the enthusiasm and atmosphere that they created. Um, yep, and the uh, Sweet Caroline is what I heard post-game as well. Uh, 
And I don't even know if you really get that as much in London. I think no, you really don't. Um, London, maybe, maybe it's because it's new and it's fresh yeah. there. But I think, I think Germany really seemed happy about it. And I think you could either do one team out there, or you could do several. Um, I would probably start with one just to see how it goes. But um, you know, we'll see. I, I think it would be tough for them to do road games, but you know, yeah, they would that, probably that, do if all of their road games at once would be it, my guess. If there's expansion. It's going to be four teams at once. I think the, so. There is, logistically, it doesn't really work with one team. You might be able to figure it out with two or three, but I think I think that one, it just doesn't make sense because then you're talking about every week that somebody's traveling, you know, 14, 15 hours. Yeah, well, you would do, so eight you gonna, weeks you, there. You're gonna, okay. The you road. could do that, but then what happens if they make the playoffs? <laughs> yeah, you have a game in Berlin. <laughs> that would be interesting. That that would be interesting. Um, Tom Brady, speaking of the Buccaneers, is going to luck his way to a playoff berth. And it's not necessarily luck. It's just he plays in a terrible division um, with, with inept teams like the Falcons, like the Panthers, like the Saints. Um, the Saints just lost to the Steelers, for, for crying out loud. And the Falcons and, and Panthers have split in two of three or in their two games. Um, meanwhile, the Bucks are, what, five and four now? Yep. And like they're not a good team. Like we we can see that with our own two eyes that they're not a very good team, and, and they're going to find a way to make the playoffs as the four seed. And it's just going to be Tom. Oh, Tom Brady! Look at him! Look at he turn around! He did with this season. I'm I'm sick and tired of hearing that. Um, they'll make the playoffs. They'll probably get housed in is the as the four seed um, at home. I will say if they're able to make a run, I'll be I'll be impressed because I don't think this team is is very good, but. It's just pissing me off that Tom Brady keeps getting like this this stuff like this to happen. It's, I mean, you're gonna even if they weren't the best team, you would realistically only need to win nine games to make the NFC playoffs right now. Yeah. So, um, let's see. Sorry, uh, Browns. The Cleveland Browns don't need a playmaker; they need a leader. Uh, so. Deshaun Watson is coming back, I think, week 12 for the Texans game. and He's I coming back to practice. You probably already to practice. know that. But. Yep. Uh, I, I think starting this week. Yep. Um, and I watched the Cleveland Browns game, and no part of me thinks, oh, yeah, we are just a dynamic playmaking quarterback away from competing in the AFC for Super Bowls or what have you, or divisions even. Um, I think this is a completely unmotivated group that has no leadership, no accountability, and doesn't play as one. I think it's a bunch of guys playing for themselves, and I'll call out a, a bunch of guys, Miles Garrett, plays with no effort if it's not a obvious passing situation. As a run defender, he has been completely pathetic this year. Uh, up the middle, D-tackle, it's undisciplined, inexperienced, and over the top at safety, John Johnson the third continuously gives no effort and blames other players. Um, and, you know, we're talking about high-paid individuals. I, I mean, very high, highly paid guys and John Johnson the third and Miles Garrett, who, you know, are two of the highest-paid players on our team and, like, you need to be leaders. You have to. You are experienced. You are, you know, playing as a team. And I, and I said, like, who did I say it about? Um, shoot, I forget. Oh, Micah Parsons. He plays harder than anybody on the Cowboys defense because he's the best player on the defense, and that is so important for the rest of the guys. He's setting that example. But when Miles Garrett is the best player of the defense and he's not giving his 100% effort yeah, and run plays, exactly. what does that tell everybody else? Okay, He's not doing it. He's the best player. I won't do it. I don't have to do it. Okay, fine. But if your best player is doing it, everybody else has to. He's not. 
And our defense is getting killed in the run game. Nobody's giving an effort. Nobody cares. And the defensive coordinator and head coach aren't holding guys accountable. And that's the thing with Stefanski. He's a brilliant offensive mind. You look at our first drives after it's scripted. We score a touchdown or points almost every single time on the opening drive. But do I think he can motivate guys, hold guys accountable when they're not playing with effort or playing with intensity? No, I don't think he can do it. Um, I, maybe he can prove me wrong going forward. But What if Deshaun can? Maybe he can, but I still think he would have to reach across the aisle and somehow get the defensive guys to start playing well. Um, and so we better hope Deshaun's a great leader. But offensively, again, it's uninspired. It's, you know, uh, poor decision-making in the red zone. It is, you know, poor play from Jacoby. Offensive line isn't nearly – it's completely overrated. Awful year for the O-line. Um, and running game has been completely underwhelming. So – that's where we're at right now. As a Browns fan, it's so frustrating because there's nothing we can do. Nope, <laughs> we are locked into this. And if we go with another coaching staff, come on, man. I uh, what, what can we do? Um, so, I, I, I don't know. I think you start with firing your defensive coordinator and going he, from there. He should but, have been gone a long time ago. Uh, this is, I think you said, the 31st strength defense yep. EPA-wise. Yep. Um, it's, it's only better than the Lions. Which is embarrassing. Uh, and, you know, Stefanski, as far as he's concerned, you better hope he gets the right defensive coordinator because if this team doesn't win with this amount of talent, it's been a complete bust. So we'll see how it goes, but it is probably the lowest point in Cleveland Browns, you know, football since, I don't know, 2019 or 16. Um, Sean McVay should retire tomorrow. Uh, This is tough because... The Rams, the reason he came back was because the Rams were supposed to be, you know, trying to run it back for a Super Bowl. There is no other reason to come back if the goal isn't to win a Super Bowl, right? I mean, these most of these guys are financially set and will have plenty of, of time to themselves. Like, it's, it's, you only come back if you want to win. And right now, the Rams are not doing that. And, and, Aaron Donald doesn't look like the Aaron Donald from last year. He he kind of has the Miles Garrett thing where it's like it's he he tries in spurts, but it's not really a whole dedicated you know game thing. And then you talk about Matthew Stafford getting hurt now, and Cooper Cup's going to be out a couple of weeks. This is this is a team that's three and six right now, and it's only going to get worse from here, um, which is great for the Lions, but for the Rams who don't have first round picks for the next two seasons. Um, that also don't have, I think, second round picks. It's like the, they try to trade away their picks for for pieces, and all of them, a lot of them, are starting to age now. And, and and we see that it is so important to have a young nucleus in the NFL because of of the type of game the NFL is. You have to have young guys that can that are spry, that can take the hits, get back up, and and be okay. The Rams aren't that. They're an old team, and they're banged up, and and it's showing on the field. They don't look. They don't really look inspired. I mean, we're talking about a Cardinals team that that is having a lot of the same issues that the Rams are, and they they looked a, way more inspired, and they looked like they wanted to win that game uh, on, on Sunday more than the than the Rams did. So, I, I think that for the good of himself, for the good of the organization, Sean McVay should retire. Uh, you know, it, he's not going to do it in season. He's not that. He doesn't seem. He doesn't strike me as a Vontae Davis type guy. Um, uh, but it's I, it, this isn't what he came back for. This is what Aaron Donald came back for. And, you know, it, it's kind of sad to see. It, it is. Um, but, yeah. You good? Yep. 
Thank you guys so much for watching. Hope you enjoyed. Catch you on the flip. See ya.